Hello, my friends. Welcome back to Tell Me About It with Jade Iovine. I am Jade Iovine. If this is your first time listening, Tell Me About It is the show where I force my guests to commiserate about our anxieties, insecurities, our mistakes, rejections, heartbreaks, and the many, many bloopers of our very imperfect lives. So in a past life of mine that I choose not to talk about on most occasions and I find incredibly shameful, not because blogging is a shameful profession, but just because it was so far off the beaten track of what I should have been doing with my life at the time, I tried to be a skincare blogger in 2017, a very dark time in my life. Anyway, I love skincare products in general and I've always had pretty decent skin and I just desperately wanted to have intimate conversations with women. And in 2017, all we were really opening up about was skincare. So I thought, hey, okay, might as well give this a shot. Soon thereafter, my blogging career was very short-lived because to be frank, I care very much what I put on my face and I care very little about what other people put on their faces. (laughs) Call me a bad person, it's just the truth. But my guest today, Rio Vieira Newton, was a name that I saw constantly in the skincare space when I was trying to blog, and whose articles I would read voraciously, and still do to this day. She was and is the reigning queen of skincare, and unlike me, she does care about what other people do to their skin. So Rio and I grew up kind of adjacent to each other in LA. We knew the same people, but didn't necessarily like know each other. We went to the same bar mitzvahs, but I don't think we ever really formally introduced ourselves to each other. So I was super excited to reconnect as adults. I've always admired Rio's cool girl approach to skincare, her expansive knowledge about all things related to skin. Anyway, I was so excited to talk to her and just see what she's been up to since our teenage days. In this interview, you'll hear Rio say that this is the first podcast that she's been asked about herself beyond skincare, which, of course, was music to my ears. But it's really shocking because she's insanely interesting and well-spoken and has done so much self-reflection, and I feel so lucky to have gotten a sneak peek inside her mind beyond skincare. Rio shared that she struggles with depression, disordered eating, and anxiety. And we talked about how those three things factor into her very, very public-facing job. We talked about the intense imposter syndrome she's felt throughout her career, how she reacted when she had her first experience with online trolls, how she manages her mental illnesses, and people-pleasing. Okay, okay, but I swear I asked her about her skincare routine, skin picking, and what her Desert Island products are too, okay? I promise. But first, before we get to all that good stuff, here's a little bit about Rio. Rio Vieira Newton is a beauty expert, consultant, and contributor at The Strategist. She's also the author of Let's Face It, Secrets of a Skincare Obsessive, and an esthetician in training. In 2017, Rio wrote an article called The Google Doc I Send to People Who Ask About My Skin, which detailed her favorite radiance-inducing and pimple-busting products and how to best use them. The article was a viral success. It received praise in The New Yorker, The Guardian, and The Atlantic, and shortly thereafter, Rio became the resident beauty expert at The Strategist with her column, I'm not a professional, just crazy. After four years, Rio left her position as a full-time staff writer for The Strategist in April of this year. Her column, I'm not a professional, just crazy, however, will continue, thank God, with twice a month posts. All right, let's get the party started. Here is Rio Vieira Newton. Hi, Rio. Hi. How are you? 
I'm so good. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we were saying a little earlier, like, I feel like I know you, but I don't know you. Like, we grew up in the same city. Uh Uh-huh. Like, I haven't seen you since the bat mitzvah days. Totally true. Yeah. You know, like, I feel like we were in the same bat mitzvah circuit. We 100% were. We were, like, one degree of separation away from each other at all times. It's so weird. And so now Uh I'm, like, fully meeting you for the first time. It's definitely as a real human person. Yes, maybe we've met as like a <laughs> hormonal seventh grader, but not since. Exactly. And your name rings like such bells. Like it, it really takes me back, you know? <laughs> I hope in the best way. I hope in Truly not a middle school way. Nothing but a positive way. I'm happy <laughs> okay, to good. tell you. So let's catch up. What have you been up to since seventh grade? No. <laughs> I'm like, so run me through kind of. So where'd you go to college? I went to Bard. Oh, cool which is a liberal arts school upstate New York. And I adored it. And then I moved to the city. So I've been in New York state pretty much since I was 18. Wow. Wild. Yeah. And you went back to LA for the pandemic, right? I did. Yeah. Yeah. I I went back and I lived with my parents, which was interesting. (laughs) Which was regressive. (laughs) It was so regressive. I know. Um, In so many ways, I was actually just a 16 year old again. And it was wild. Even when I go to my parents' house, like just for the day, I'm like, what's wrong with me? Like, I totally revert back to like a person I thought I'd evolved out of. And it's startling. I couldn't agree more. There must be something psychological there. Like when you're just in an environment that you feel just too comfortable in and you spend too much time there at a certain age, like you just revert back to that identity. And And then you get like resentful of them for making you revert back to that person. And you're like, (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I remember I remember going on a walk and my mom being like, so what time are you coming back? And oh, I was like, right. you know what? I'm a, a whole ass 27 year old woman. Like, I am a grown ass woman. <laughs> I can go on a walk around the block. You're like, but will you make me dinner when I get back? Yeah, exactly. I'm like, having said that, like, do you mind doing my laundry? <laughs> yeah, seriously. Okay. So you have been in New York. You moved to New York after Bard right? Yeah. I moved to the city after Bard and I've been here now, I guess like five years, which is crazy. I think they say it's 10 years when you're a proper New Yorker, but five feels like I'm pretty New York. Yeah. Five is legit. Yeah. What, Mm -hmm. like, do you think you'll ever move back to LA? Cause your family's here, right? My whole family's here. And even my brother who lived in London his entire life just moved to LA as well. So truly every part of my family is in LA. I mean, never say never, but I don't know. Like I said, the pandemic kind of turned me off of it a little bit just because it was, yeah, just regressive. I was like, I just need to be alone and have my own journey and moment. Yes, I need to remind myself. I love them all so deeply, obviously, but I was like, you know what? I love that dress. Like, I love HVN. I just have to tell you. Oh, really? Yes. I mean, it's just, it's the best. It's the most comfortable. It's the most flattering. Yeah. I'm like, anytime I can wear those dresses, like, I'm in. You know, if I opened up my closet right now, you would be in shock about how it's exclusively HBN. Hello, I would do the same thing. (laughs) Are you kidding? The best. Yeah. So I want to get into like skincare. We'll get into like all of that, the nooks and crannies of, you know, your world. But will you kind of run us through the bullet points of your life? We kind of went through college. So you grew up in Mm -hmm. L.A. You have how many siblings? I have two siblings. I have a brother and a sister. Uh, I'm the youngest. My brother is 17 years older than me. Wow. And my sister is six years older than me. Yeah. So pretty big age gaps. Yeah. Same parents? 
my brother is a half brother. So okay, he's a cool. different dad. Yeah. But we, yeah, grew up in LA and then I moved to New York and pretty much as soon as I graduated from college, maybe like 10 months after I graduated, I started writing for the strategist, wow. which is really interesting. Yeah. It, it's, it's really, really crazy because it all kind of fell into place. It was a total like serendipitous situation where stars aligned and essentially the Google doc. Yes. <laughs> um, the I, Google I, doc. I, I'm gonna, yeah. So the first article I ever wrote for the strategist, which if those of you listening don't know what it is, it's New York Magazine's shopping vertical. And I wrote a Google Doc about what skincare I was using because I was extraordinarily passionate about skincare. And at the time, I was going through a really, really bad period of time with my acne. And I talk about this a lot because acne really isn't linear. You don't have it. And then one day you don't. You're going to go through periods of time where you have it and periods of time where you don't. And sometimes it's worse and sometimes it's better. But at that time, I was going through one of my worst kind of patches of cystic and hormonal acne. So I was getting really, really into skincare. And I wrote down which products I was using and how I was using them for two of my friends who had asked. And all of a sudden, the Google Doc started getting passed around to people and eventually ended up in the hands of an editor at The Strategist, who I knew not well, but I I knew her vaguely. What a happy accident. It's crazy. And she reached out to me and she was like, I think this is really cool. Would you be willing to publish this at The Strategist? And I was like, of course, I would absolutely love that. I was a journalism major as well. So the idea of having something published in New York Magazine was insane. Totally. So I was over the moon. I didn't even expect to get paid for it. I thought that it, they were doing me a favor, you yes, know? Yes, um, yes, yes. And they published it and it did really well. People connected with it on a level I never, ever could have imagined. And I have been writing for the strategist ever since. Oh my, okay. So we're going to get into the Google doc because yeah. I, I want to know what it, how many iterations there have been since. I want to oh, know what totally, you're using yes. right now. I want to ask you my own skincare questions. But okay, I want to ask you because... So you graduated and then six months later kind of had a job? It wasn't six months. It was almost a year. Okay. Six months after you wrote the Google Doc. Yes. Okay. Exactly. And yeah, I I was basically just kind of free falling for that year after college. It was it it was really crazy. I was doing odd jobs. I worked retail. I was working uh, in music publicity for a period of time. And I was just kind of throwing everything at the wall and and trying to see what stuck. I always wanted to work in beauty, but at the time, beauty felt like an industry that was so hard to tap into. I also really struggled with it because a lot of people around me didn't necessarily acknowledge beauty as like a legitimate career, Interesting. Um, which is so interesting because now it's this force, you know, it's this, it's this dominating industry and everyone talks about beauty and you open Forbes and beauty's everywhere. And, but at the time, beauty was, was kind that, of like just starting to pick up. Yeah, exactly. 2016, 2015. And people were kind of like, well, what do you mean? You're going to write about skincare? What is that? 
Like that's not a career, that's a hobby. Mm-hmm. So the fact that I was able to somehow turn something that I loved so much into a legitimate career is, is crazy. And I am truly grateful every single day. And that you were able to stick with it when all those people mm. were saying, you know, like that's not a real career. I think other people might be able to relate to that, whether they're starting in an industry that isn't booming yet. Yeah. That feeling of like that dreaded question, like, what do you do for a living? And you're like, fuck. Totally. And I think at the time, like people didn't find beauty to be like a legitimate intellectual discussion. Mm. And, and now, you know, a couple of years ago, you, you open up the New Yorker and Gia Tolentino is writing about skincare. Right. It's a completely different world now. But at the time, people thought that it was vapid and yeah. stupid and that you couldn't be smart and also care about beauty, which is you so not hit, true. And a hundred percent, you hit it right at the perfect time. Mm, like I remember when totally. I like, I mean, this is a part of my life. I choose not to talk about, but when I tried to blog for like 0.5 seconds, I was like doing skincare. Oh, we have all been there. We have all been there. Oh my, it's like, oh my <laughs> God, it keeps me up at night. It's like so shameful. But you were like really one of the four names in skincare at the time. Like you were really, this was like 2017 and you were really like one of the main players and you still are, but you just like hit it at such an amazing time. And now there are so many people in the space and so many brilliant genius voices. And I'm just in such good company. And it's, it's so great to be amongst such smart people. That's amazing. Okay. So let's go back to your 20s, because I really mm-hmm. want to just dive in and dissect. So we're both 27. Are you born in 93? 94. 94. Okay. When's your birthday? Yeah. January 7th. Oh, you're a Capricorn. No, Air- I Aquarius. I am. No, I'm a Capricorn. Okay. Yeah. Capricorn. I like My Capricorns. sister and brother are Aquarius. Oh, uh, yeah. I love Capricorns. Me too. I like Aquariuses too. I'm biased, but I love, yeah. <laughs> I love a Capricorn. What are you? I'm a Sag. I'm like, that sounds so lame. I'm a Sagittarius. No, I'm my mom December. is a Sag. I love, love, love Sag women. Okay, good. They're some then, of my favorite. They're so spicy. We're good. I love it. Yeah, we are a little fiery spicy. It can get us in trouble. But mm-hmm. so like my 20s, I don't know what you felt because it sounds like you kind of found your career early. Mm. They've just been intense, you know, like from all angles, you know, like I've had friendship breakups. I've tried to figure out not only who I am, but like what I want out of life and what I want to do for a living. And those transitional periods have like felt very, I've felt them is what I mean to say. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's really hard and you're constantly looking to the left and right of you, like wondering like, okay, am I doing this right? That other person seems to be do like more advanced than whatever. So let's go back two years, you know, to when you were 25, who were you mm-hmm. like, what were you like then? What were your insecurities? Kind of give me the gist of what the difference is between you then and now. Yeah. 24, 25 were interesting years. And in the, in the words of the great philosopher, Kylie Jenner, they were my years <laughs> of realizing things. <laughs> my years of realizing things <laughs> is absolutely right. I feel like I did have a lot of social development. You're totally right in that I was fortunate to have found a career quite early, Mm -hmm. but I feel like my social growth had to, had a lot of catching up to do with my career. And it's interesting to think that so much of my identity has been built upon kind of my relationship with the strategist. So I yeah, I, I, it, it was never easy, but I feel like my friendships have developed in so many different ways and, and I've started to really like myself. But 
24 and 25, while they were incredibly confusing and daunting years, I look back at them with fondness because I feel like it was the first time I saw a glimpse of the person I wanted to be. Mm, Tell me more about that. Well, so this is kind of a roundabout way of, of answering this question, but when I, growing up, I was a, a people pleaser. There's no other way to put it. I lived my entire life wanting to be liked by as many people as possible. And it was suffocating. If I was with a group of people, I would do everything I could to make everyone in the room like me as best as possible. And I would say that was a defining characteristic of my personality. Fast forward to 2017, I Mm -hmm. start writing for The Strategist. And essentially what that does is skyrocket me to an online personality. And I had no experience with that. I didn't know what that meant, but all of a sudden it was happening. And you would go to The Strategist and my name would be everywhere. It would be videos of me, articles I'd written. And because of that, all of a sudden I got this crazy influx of hate Mm, online. Really? All of a sudden I was getting horrific comments on my articles, mean comments on YouTube videos I made, on Instagram, on Twitter. Some of them were criticizing my intellect, but other times it was just really mean and talking about my appearance, my voice, uh, my hair, my eyebrows. And it was devastating. Oh my God. For a people pleaser. Woo. It was, <laughs> I, I, you know, I'm, I'm laughing, but it's not, it's not funny because the mm-hmm. first six months of this happening, I fell into a serious depression because I couldn't, I couldn't handle how much negativity was coming my way and how many people were basically vocalizing that they didn't like me. Right. But I feel I the way I feel about it is complicated because on the one hand, I think magazines do a horrific, terrible job at protecting their writers. And that's something Mm. that I can talk about for an entire podcast. How can they do better? Like just just I just don't think anyone, any one of their writers should should go to a comment section and have someone talk about how ugly they they should police the comments. They should be policing the comments to a certain extent. I believe, of course, if there is constructive feedback, they should keep it. Not everything needs to be positive. And I totally recognize that. But sometimes you'll read a comment and you're like, this is just harmful. Yes. Because then you're like, people I know are going to read these comments also. like Exactly. No one should go to work and have to see that every day. Totally. I just firmly believe that. It's not good for the mental health of your staff. It's, it's making them worse at their jobs. Yeah. I just didn't know like what that world looked like. So thank you for clarifying. Mm, Totally. But on the other hand, it really pushed me to release this weight of caring so much about what other people thought of me. And it was something, it was a slow burn, but I remember the day I opened up my computer and I saw something and I felt nothing. And I was like, this is crazy. Wow. And it has been something, yeah, it, it is one of the most liberating feelings of all time. And not only was it liberating, the less I started to care about what other people thought of me, the better person I became. Totally. And there's so many levels to it. Like I became a better friend because all the time in situations, I would always be neutral, right? I never Mm. wanted to get involved. I never wanted to cause a scene. I never wanted to be involved in drama. And sure, there's integrity to a certain extent, 
in that. But, you know, there were so many situations where I didn't stick up for what's right because I just didn't want to get involved or I wasn't supportive in the way I should have been because I was like, this isn't my problem. Wow. So that, I mean, that really hits me. That's like extremely profound and shows that you've done a lot of (laughs) self-reflection because I think I'm slowly rounding that corner as someone that hasn't been catapulted into an online persona. It's like, Mm. I haven't had that experience. So it's been more, it's been slower, but yeah, I think like that liberating feeling of being like, oh wait, I all of a sudden don't care. You know, Mm -hmm. like that sounds like heaven to me. So how did you get from feeling like so depressed and being like, fuck, all these people are like saying shit about me and like whatever. How did you get from that point to then coming out of it and saying, I'm going to post whatever I want and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I mean, it was a hundred percent a slow process. It wasn't something that happened overnight. Therapy of course helped because I also think identifying the root of why you care so much about Mm. what people think is also important. And I won't get too much into it, but for me, of course, my, my chronic people pleasing was a trauma response of me constantly trying to make sure situations were okay. Mm -hmm. Keep the calm, keep de-escalate situations. Yes. Yes. So a lot of it was identifying the, the sort of core of it, but you know, Ultimately, I think I started to realize that who, who are these people? Right. If you're not, of course, of course, of course, if I had heard that one of my best friends or one of my family members was disappointed in my behavior, I would be devastated. Of course. These people aren't that. No. These people don't know you at all. No. And like, you probably wouldn't care about their opinion, like if they were in person, you know what I mean? But it's just because like they're guised behind this screen, you know, you're just like, you can just create all these different stories about who they are. Uh-huh. And of course, tale is all this time, but, uh, you know, it, the times I have reached out to people that have said certain things. Have you? Yeah. They're always like, I'm so sorry. Thank you for <laughs> responding. I love your work. It's so crazy. <laughs> um, so, so I don't know what that psychology is, but there's something there. I, I think people also just don't see you as a, as a real human. Totally. And I totally also understand that I'm in the business of, of beauty and a lot of photos that are posted of me online look glamorous and, and put together. And I'm sure people think that I'm mean or that I'm not funny or I'm not a good time or, or anything like that. And I totally understand that because I catch myself making judgments about people online constantly. Right. And then I meet right. them and I'm like, you're actually awesome. Yeah. And then you like feel bad. I know. That's fascinating to me because I wonder like, if you hadn't had that experience of being catapulted into being an online persona, mm-hmm. like how long that would have taken, you know, for you to get to that point. It's so true. I have absolutely no idea, but I'm, I'm truly so grateful for it every day because, you know, the number one thing also that I've learned with age is, and this is sort of my daily mantra is to not take things personally. Yes. To try and take as little personally as you possibly can. And this is something that I think about a lot in the context of my friendships as I've gotten older as well, because I hold my friends to a really high standard and and not in the sense where I have expectations or requirements of them. Okay. I just, I have high standards for their emotional maturity Uh in the sense where if we have an issue, I expect my friends will come to me and talk to me about it. If I have a conversation with you at a party and you're giving me weird vibes. Yeah. I'm going to be like, 
unless they tell me they have an issue with me, yes. I'm gonna just assume that that's their problem. <laughs> I'm the same way. I'm like, is that the right way to be? I, I'm the same way. I think I honestly, and it's it's just helped me so much. Um, and it's made me have really, really wonderful friendships and maintain really wonderful friendships. And to be honest with you, if if you are passive aggressive and, and prickly and not straightforward and I, we might not have an easy time gelling. And I truly think that if you're an incredibly passive aggressive person and you're a little prickly and not completely upfront with what you're feeling, we might have a difficult time gelling. So tell me about that as it relates to your 20s, because I think in your 20s, you have a lot of friendship breakups, you know, whether it's because you realize that like, just because you've been friends since you were in diapers, that you don't really have to be friends in your adulthood. Who are your friends now? And like, what did it take to get there? So I have a very bizarre and unique situation where five of my best friends are the same five best friends I've had since I was 13 and even younger, which is crazy. Oh my God, that's amazing. A lot of times, and I've witnessed this, if you have friends from your youth, you can kind of remain in those adolescent roles and it's hard for you to grow. Absolutely. Which can be really toxic. My friends, we were all close when we were growing up. And then during college, we kind of drifted apart. And then we all moved to the city afterwards and reconnected. Oh, that's so. So we had those kinds of independent journeys, self-discovery. Yeah kind of moments throughout college. And then, and then we were almost reintroduced to each other as different people. That's wonderful. College, which is That's, wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think like some of my friendships that have ended have been because I, in large part, I felt like being someone that is a people pleaser perfectionist, you know, especially like when I was younger, I've worked on it so much and gotten so much better with age and therapy and everything. Mm-hmm. But I felt like so many of those relationships held me down in such a forceful way, like not just like a passive aggressive way, but in a way of like, will you always do this? Or like, you're like this and like would constantly like call me out on like, and I'm like, no, I'm not that way anymore. And it was just like these microaggressions that just like kept happening all the time. And I was like, I don't know how to tell you guys that I'm someone different or like that I'm working on myself or that I'm evolving. And hopefully we all are, you know, but that's so real. That's so real. Yeah. Cause it was so hard for me to like grow while people were holding me to a standard that I didn't meet anymore, you yeah. know? So with those, were those five friends, is that a friend group or is that like five individual? You know what? Not really. And mm-hmm. I think that that is the most helpful thing. We weren't a clique. We weren't all friends. But now you're a group more so. Kind of. Yeah. yeah like we okay. all get along really well, but I, I wouldn't say that we're like a, a core group or anything. You have like a group chat. and Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. exactly. But Yeah, I I think it's really odd how those friendships that you can adore so much as a kid can end up being really toxic. And often just because, like, there isn't room for growth, you know, Mm -hmm. and and it's hard to distinguish, like, those are the hardest friendships to end because, like, there isn't really a distinct reason. It's not like you slept with my boyfriend, you know? Friendship breakups are (laughs) Let's go. Let's get into it. Have you ever had one? I have had two Mm. terrible ones in my life. Two devastating, haunting friendship breakups that to me are so much more traumatic than any boyfriend I've ever had. Tell me. I agree with you, but tell me. One of them, I do not regret at all. 
one of them, it had to happen. And I'm actually so grateful that at a young age, I was able to look at the situation, even though I was such an idiot when I was a kid, I'm so glad that when I was 17, I looked at this situation and I said, this is toxic and I actually don't want you in my life. So I'm actually very proud of myself for one. Yes. The other one, it's actually so funny. We're talking about this right now. I'll explain why, but it was heartbreaking. This was kind of what you said. She was a friend of mine from high school. And then we went to college together. And then we, we had been friends through so much. And I completely resonate with what you're saying about how we held ourselves we held one another to the standard of the person we used to be. Mm-hmm. And, and we couldn't grow with each other because we would just regress back into like our 18-year-old state. And we were fighting constantly. Uh, we had different expectations of, of what friendship was. For her, it was fierce, fierce loyalty. Like... And for me, I was a people pleaser who never wanted to get involved in anything. Oh, yes. I can see how that would be a problem. (laughs) I was constantly saying, you're asking too much of me. She was constantly saying, you're letting me down. And we were just always in this cycle of being upset with one another for each other's behavior. And once I graduated from college... I basically was like, now that I don't have to see you anymore, like on a day-to-day basis, I don't think we should be friends. Right. And And you said that, like you had a conversation. I I said that verbatim. Yeah. Good for you, man. But you know what? I missed her so much. Yeah. And it, I thought about her on a weekly basis, like underneath all of that messiness, she was a brilliant, hysterical person. And we had seen each other through some of the worst parts of our lives, some, some really intense shit we had dealt with together. Right. And there were so many times where I wanted to text her and I couldn't, and it felt wrong. And so a couple of months ago, I sent her this text message, like out of nowhere, unprompted. I don't even know why I did it, but I just said like, I'm so, so sorry for my behavior. Uh, I, I look back at the person I was, and I'm really ashamed. I'm really ashamed that I wasn't able to stick up for you in situations when I should have. Um, I wish I had been more there for you. Of course, some of my feelings were totally valid about how she, we had no boundaries and she wasn't respecting my boundaries so, to a certain extent. But she said the same thing back. She texted me back and she was like, I'm really, really sorry. I feel the same way. I know you're a good person. And, and, you know, it was kind of, we'd been through too much together and we needed to have a break. It was crazy. That is insane. It was crazy. Did you guys like, are you friends now? We're not anywhere near the level we used to be, but I called her the other day and we talked on the phone for like two and a half hours. Oh, that's sweet. You know, because it was like, how's your brother's wife? Right, right. Like someone that knew everything about you. Intimately. I know every detail of her life and her family and her siblings intimately. So it was so crazy to catch up with someone that just knew so much about me. You know, I was like, oh, my brother, his girlfriend's pregnant. She was like, get out. That's crazy. Like, you know how crazy it was. Yes. So, but yeah, we we don't text every day. But if I, I would probably get lunch with her and would love to see her. 
But that sounds like the boundaries that you needed, maybe. You know, like maybe you'll get closer, but like maybe you weren't supposed to be as attached at the hip, like as you yeah. once were. And that and that kind of break is like what was necessary. I think environmentally, we were put in a situation where we were forced to maybe be a little closer than we naturally would have been. Okay, I get that. Because we were, we were close in high school and close in college. Right. And we became a little codependent. Yeah, that's so interesting because there's someone, one of my best friends is going through that with her childhood best friend. Mm-hmm. And they like had a breakup, pretty intense, obviously, because they'd been friends since they were born, like families were friends, like it was a breakup of like, not just them, but like the families and everything. And recently, you know, like she's been feeling like she misses her. Yeah. And it's hard to give any advice because it's like, you don't know what friendships you should close the door on forever or, you know, like, or which ones that you deserve to be, you know, revisited once yeah. you've had some space, you know, and it can be really missing a friend like that can be as painful as missing an ex. A hundred percent. I do really stand by uh, the idea that sometimes you just need some time apart in order to come back and rebuild a new friendship. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be the same as the old one. You can create a new one with better boundaries and better communication skills. But sometimes it does take a breakup. It's You kind of have to like knock it down to rebuild it. Exactly. Okay, we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. So when you talk about like going through that depression when you first got all that hate, had you ever struggled with depression before? Oh, yes. Oh, Oh, you have? Yes, yes. Okay. I am a depressed person by trade as well. (laughs) I mean, yes. Yes. I don't think anything I'm saying is unique in any way. I'm sure some people listening will relate to this, but I was an incredibly depressed teenager. I, I had undiagnosed depression. I struggled with eating disorders throughout my entire teenage and college years. I had raging anxiety and it was, it's always been something I've, I've had to think about and consider when I make life changes too, you know? And I think that's, what's so hard about depression and something you don't really think about is whenever you're taking a new job, whenever you're moving somewhere, it's something you have to take into consideration. Absolutely. Like those transitions just are triggers for depression for sure. Yeah, exactly. And you have to mentally and sometimes even physically prepare for for those kind of waves to happen. So how do you prepare? Well, I mean, I'm just going to be totally honest. Medication helps so yes. much. I'm on medication too, girl. Yeah, yes. It, it is. In, it's incredibly helpful. Uh, for the longest time, I was resistant to it because Me I too. felt like it was it was a sign of weakness. And I was scared that my mood would be different or I would become a different person. But mm-hmm. yes, I have become a different person and it's yes. been incredibly positive. Yes. I've become myself. Yes. Yeah, I, I have become a, a much happier person and someone who is less overwhelmed by small things mm-hmm. that would just historically take me out for, for weeks. Yes. That is the difference. Like that's what yeah. I feel too, is it's not, it, those feelings don't go away. But for me, I was really ruminative. So it was just mm-hmm. like the distance between me and anything, whether it was like a problem or even just like brushing my teeth, I'd be like, I'd have to think about it and think about it and think about it and think about it forever. And so yeah. what antidepressants did was just kind of like cut that thinking time in more than half, you know, it just like made it so I was kind of free from my brain. You're so, you're so right. Yeah. I still have like all the thoughts. I still have, you know, I'm still me. I still have all the problems. I still cry at the same shit, but it's just like, Mm -hmm. 
I don't know, that weird rumination that you can't really describe unless you have depression, you know, like the, or anxiety. It's totally, it's, it's hard to describe. I know what you mean, but I, I agree with everything you're saying. I still cry at the same things. I'm still emotional about the same issues. It's just that I'm not allowing that to take me to the darkest place I can go. Absolutely. It doesn't trigger me to stay in bed for a week straight and not be able to talk to anyone. I, I still feel the urge to do that, but it's easier for me to fight it. Yeah. Like I still have bouts. Like recently I had probably my first bout on an antidepressant, which was interesting because I was like, oh fuck, we're going to, you know, I got in bed and I was like, okay, we're going to be here for like a month. Like this is very Mm -hmm. scary. And it only lasted really a week, which feels in depression time, like four months, you know, like those moments. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. You're just like, holy shit. But I think that's what really like confirmed that I need to be on these medications is that I was like, okay, I can still go there, you know, but I, at least I have this net that like is obviously working. Yeah. And, and therapy is just, yes. it's so, so, so helpful. I'd be nothing. And I see therapy. a therapist and a psychiatrist um, oh, separately. Nice. Some yeah. people have one person that does it all. I see two different people Yeah, because I kind of feel like they satisfy different parts of my brain. Yeah. I have a lot of friends that do that. Yeah. And, and it's, it's so helpful. It's truly, you know, there's just no shame ever in asking for help. Absolutely, There's so many different ways that you can have access to therapy and psychiatry. Now, of course, this country doesn't make it easy, but there are a lot more ways um, than there have ever been. So that's something to take into consideration. If you have never been to therapy or if you want to, you know, my parents didn't encourage therapy growing up. My parents my dad's English. My mom is Brazilian, but is very English in a lot of ways because she lived in England for so long. And therapy is, is not really a part of that generation's upbringing. Totally. My parents are, or my mom rather is now in therapy, but you know, it wasn't encouraged. So I, I really had to find therapy and find my way to therapy on my own. And I only really had access to do that once I got health insurance through New York Magazine. Yes. So that was only when I really started. So have you spoken about like your experiences with eating disorders or body image and stuff before? No, never. <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard for me because the reason why I don't talk a lot about disordered eating isn't because I'm not open to talking about it. It's sort of like, how do you give a TED talk on something you don't fully understand yet? Or how can you help people when you're still struggling to help yourself? Yes, yes. And that is why I don't talk about it so openly. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an everyday process for me. Every single day, I'm trying to unlearn behavior that I had taught myself at a young age. And yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Where did that start for you? Like, do you remember your first experience realizing when did that all begin? Very, very young. It's devastating. Uh, I even remember in elementary school thinking a lot about food in a way that I noticed other people didn't. Interesting. I had been, I went, I remember going to a pediatrician when I was younger and him telling me that I was about 30 pounds overweight. Mm-hmm. And great. That's what, exactly what a pediatrician should do. And I just remember holding that number so close to me for Mm. the rest of my life. It's something that I thought about on a daily basis. And I was so envious of people that could just eat a meal and not, and not think about it. Right. Um, That was never me, but you know, it's something that I, I truly, I work on so much 
and it's so funny because of course I don't look at anyone else's bodies like that. I know everyone deserves love and respect besides me. You know, that's how it works. Every I'm like, your body is gorgeous and perfect. And I, I can't believe you would say that about yourself and, but I don't deserve that. (laughs) Yes. Yes. So what are some of the practices that you use now, like to give yourself more self-love, compassion? It doesn't have to be just related to disordered eating, but just in general, like, is it easier for you to be kinder to yourself these days? Yes. Yeah. And I think in large part, it is because I am becoming a person that I'm actually really proud of Mm -hmm. on the inside. Mm -hmm. And I think that that has helped me so much. I am starting to actually like myself. Mm. Isn't that amazing? you know, five years ago, I never would have said. Right. Like to bring up the pattern on your dress, like our Saturn return, it's legit. Yeah. You know, Saturn return is real. So, you know, we're talking about suffering from, you know, mental illnesses and disordered eating and all of that. And then I know, sorry, I've gotten very, very deep. No, that's what, that's what we're here for. That is like literally exactly what we're here for. This is wonderful. So how do you, you know, factor that into your online persona? What boundaries did you have to draw to maintain your mental health? Who doesn't compare themselves to people online? But we all have that dark part of ourselves Mm -hmm. where when we see someone doing what we think is a better job than you, it pisses us off and it makes us angry. Yes. Something I constantly try and work on is, especially in the beauty space where there are so many brilliant voices popping up left and right, um, to really try and consider those people as allies and not enemies. And it's so much easier said than done, but it's something I really try and work on. Anytime I see someone is doing something cool or they're talking about beauty in a different way that I never thought of, I try and befriend them. Yeah. I'm like, what a radical idea. <laughs> I, I know. I know. It's, it sounds so obvious, but yes, you have so much more to gain from those people than as, as their friend than you would sitting back and, and being mad at them for being better than you. At right. No, it's true. It's true. Your energy is much better served, like connecting with those people than just like making voodoo dolls of them in your closet. Exactly. (laughs) And instead of thinking about that competition in a negative way, just trying to allow that to challenge you to be better is the biggest takeaway, I think. Yeah. So what was a time in your career other than when you first got all that hate and you were first introduced to what it's like being a public persona? Is there a rejection or a mistake that really stands out as something that was fundamental to you becoming who you are today? Probably my relationship with the internet has been the biggest like sense of rejection that I've ever felt personally, if I'm being honest. Like your relationship with the trolls and mm-hmm. that stuff. Mm-hmm. It's hard because I was trying to find myself at the same time where everything was very public. You know, everything I wrote was immediately published, but I was still figuring out what my opinions were on certain Yes. Topics. Does that make sense? Yes. So... Sometimes I look back and I, and I read things from my first year where I was writing and, and I'm like, I don't agree with that. And I think that that is okay. And that's something that I have had to teach myself to accept. Yeah. The permanence of the internet can be extremely scary to say yeah. the least. Yeah, definitely. I think about that all the time. Even like when I post something today, I'm like, well, what if I don't feel that way tomorrow? Even if it's about like my depression or something like that, it's, it's hard to 
engage with your past self so intimately. Yeah. And to your point earlier about how much of myself I put on the internet, that has been a real struggle for me because on the one hand, I think the, if there were, if I allowed myself to be more open on the internet, I think people would actually get to know me in a more valuable way. And I think that they would connect with me and they would like me more. Right. But on the other hand, I don't really get joy from being on the internet. Yes. Yes. So I struggle because I see all of these people who follow me and I, and I love them for their support and I want them to be able to get to know me in a, in a real meaningful way. But at the same time, the less time I spend on Instagram, the happier I am. Right. And their appetite is insatiable, you know? So like one, so if you're sharing everything, including like your stool sample, you know what I mean? Like it's like they'll want more, you know what I mean? So it's hard to know, like drawing those boundaries early, I think. And then like letting yourself advance from there is probably a good place to start. But just like you've probably created such an incredible community online. Wonderful. Some of the coolest, smartest people of all time and, and really friendly. And I, I love more than anything when people come up to me on the street and they tell me that they read my articles or that I help them through a particular patch of, um, you know, acne or, or difficult times with their skin. It makes me so happy. Yeah. It's wonderful. I love that. Have you connected with them about like stuff regarding your mental health? You know, unfortunately not really. This is actually the first time I'm ever saying this out loud, but I left my full-time post to the strategist. Mm. I still have a column there. So people will okay. still be able to find my content there, yes. but I'm not a staff writer for them anymore, which was one of the hardest decisions I ever made. I just did that with the hopes of being able to connect with people on a deeper level, hopefully through, through other mediums. Okay. So was the strategist, did you feel like your employment there was probably wonderful, but like it was limiting as far as connecting with people? Yes, okay. it was definitely a very simple and honest way to put it is their exclusivity was extremely strict. Right. That's what I assume. So there was only so much I could do. Of course, they allowed me to do the book, which was wonderful. And one of the greatest things I've ever done. And I'm so proud of it. But that was one of the the few things that I was able to do. So there was a certain point I had worked at the strategist, as I said, right out of college, it, it had become a part of me. And it's so funny because I listened to your episode with Hunter Harris and she said the exact same thing about Vulture. And it's so true because New York Magazine is this wonderful place and it's so special. Mm-hmm. And I got to work with some of the smartest, kindest, weirdest, coolest people ever. And I was like, how am I ever going to leave this place? But at a certain point, you have to think, you have to think about whether you have hit the ceiling at, at a certain uh, work environment. And I, I did to a certain extent. Um, and I wanted to try other things. As I asked Hunter Harris, I want to talk mm-hmm. to you about how you actually found the courage, found your voice to quit. And what was oh that God. like? The day before I quit, I thought I was going to throw up the entire day. It's horrible. Quitting is horrible. Quitting is, oh Horrifying. my God, I've only done There's it once nothing worse. and it, I don't need to do it anymore. I mean, also just like this company, like these, this woman who runs the strategist, like the chances she took on me, like she's, she's responsible for so much of my career and I owe mm. her everything. Mm-hmm. So the idea that I could do something that was a betrayal to her was horrifying. Right. So I, 
it, you know, it, it took me like six months to actually build up the courage to do it. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And she was incredible. She was so kind and of course supportive and she understood. And she said to me, like, we'd still love to have your writing here. I understand that you want to quit, but you know, the column's always here. If you want it, you know, the strategy, you're always going to be a part of the strategist family. And it was one of the kindest welling up the entire conversation, which was horrifying. It was over zoom, which is more helpful. Thank God. Yeah. I, the buildup is, is tragic. And I don't even know what advice I could give someone the day before they're quitting because you just have to kind of freak the fuck out. Yeah, like, did you, but did you practice? Like, did you rehearse? I always rehearse. Do you? And I, I always rehearse. I even rehearse for this. Stop. Yeah. Oh my God, how? So this is actually so trippy. But one of the reasons why I became so obsessed with doing my skincare in the first place is because... My bathroom is the only place I could close the door and actually talk to myself. I love it. Yes. So I would be able to have prepare for my meeting. It was mostly for meetings. I am not an amazing public speaker. I'm actually fine at public speaking, but I have horrible. I have horrific nerves. Yes, me too. Before public speaking. And a way that I can reduce those nerves is feeling confident in what I'm saying. Yes. So the more I practice, the more confident I feel. So a lot of times when I was doing my skincare, that is when I would practice those things. Interesting. So that is why I have always prioritized taking that time for myself in the beginning and end of the day is because a lot of times that's when I do those things. Rio, you're blowing my mind. I I know. That's brilliant. It's a full circle moment. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I like, I'm, I like public speaking and I, you know, I enjoy it when I'm in it, but I like get insane nerves before. I have a feeling we're the same way. People have actually told me, I don't know why I said I'm bad at it. People have actually told me you're quite good at public speaking. Yeah, you are. But, but I just, I'm like this, like, uh, I die inside before I die. Yeah. Literally like I I shake, like I'm, no, it's terrible, but rehearsing sounds so, so like, okay, when you're rehearsing for quitting, mm-hmm. right? So do yeah. you just rehearse like your intro speech or do you also rehearse like a response to something she might say? Like how in depth do you go in your rehearsals? Well, in this particular case, I really had no clue how she was going to react. Right. So I mostly just prepared for what I was going to say, because obviously I wanted to convey just how grateful I was. I yes. wanted to convey my gratitude to on the deepest level. But I also wanted to be clear that I was out, you know, I wasn't asking for a promotion. I was, I was asking, I was telling her that I was leaving. You can't leave room for confusion there. You have to be very clear. I think that can be hard as women also to be like that. Of course. course. So I practiced it in a way until I was happy with, with how it came out. Essentially. It's really I know people find it really odd, but I'm telling you, if you have a lot of public speaking anxiety, it's a helpful tool. Wow, rehearsing like that is, I don't know why that sounds so new to me, but it really does. Like, I understand like rehearsing a speech. I understand that stuff. Understand isn't the right word because this I'm going to start doing. Like, I need to Mm. actually just rehearse, like even just to start you out, like rehearsing your first question or all those things, right? Yeah, exactly. Do you rehearse your videos, like your, like, skincare videos? Well, I can just re-record them as many Ah, times as I want, you know? So, in a way, yeah, but... Yes. The thing for me is, if I get the first bit down, Mm -hmm. then I feel more comfortable. 
So if I come in knowing what I'm going to say in the introduction and how I'm going to handle the introduction, if I handle that well, then I feel more confident for the rest of the process. Okay. So it's just getting that first part down. Yes. If I'm in a pinch and I don't have time to think too much about the entire conversation, I will just make sure that I feel confident going into it. That is brilliant. Yeah. I'm like, I'm, I'm going to steal that because that's wonderful. You should. You should. God. Okay. So what still gets to you today as far as confidence? What still can get you going? I have vicious imposter syndrome still to this Let's day. Let's talk about it. Yes. Where I, again, everyone else is deserving of the world besides me. I don't deserve it. I, it was an accident. I don't deserve to be here. It was a mistake. It's funny, but it's so true. It's so <laughs> yeah. sad. Yes. It's horrible. And I think I felt that the most with the book. And for those of you listening who maybe don't know what I'm talking about, I wrote a book that came out in March. It's called Let's Face It. It's I just ordered skincare. it. I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. I'm so glad. I should have sent you a copy, honestly. So when I first got the email from an agent asking if I had literary representation, I was 100% sure it was a mistake or a joke or a spam email. I really? was like, there's no, there's no way, there's no way that someone has reached out to me and asked me this. Um, and then it makes I makes so much sense to me. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> to everyone else, you. but yes, I discovered that it was a legitimate agent. And you know, there's so many things that are so different about the process of writing a book that are it's it's so, so, so different than what I was accustomed to. Right. And I, I really, really struggled with the writing process because really basically the way books work is you're writing something that is going to be published in two years. Okay. So I'm so used to writing on an incredibly short turnaround. So I write something and then 45 minutes it's live. Right. You know, so predicting what the world was going to be and how I was going to feel in two years was so intimidating, especially these days where what the, what the fuck is going on yes. with anything, yes. you know? Yes. So uh, it was so, so intense for me. I, I had the lowest self-esteem throughout the entire book writing process. I didn't even think of that. Like, I would be like, we just went through a pandemic. Like, how the fuck am I supposed to know that we won't be in another crazy situation in two years and that people even care about skin? You know, like people even have skin. Exactly. Exactly. That's an option. Will we even have skin in two years? (laughs) But no, Um, it's true. Like, that would be so daunting. I can totally understand that. Yeah. And so it was... It was a real, real challenge for me. And I, and I was super, super self-conscious throughout the entire process because I also, on top of being so academically challenged, mm-hmm. I also felt so undeserving of it. Mm. So I was struggling and I was like, the reason why I'm struggling so much is because I shouldn't have written this book. It was a mistake. Right, right. So like not only do you have writer's block, right, which is just like a symptom of writing a book, but exactly. then you attach it to this low self-worth feeling where you're just like, oh, like I because I don't deserve to write this book that I'm having a hard time writing it. Yes, exactly. And the more writers I spoke to, the better I felt because I spoke to so many people who had written books. For example, my boyfriend's mother is an author and and she was like, this is so normal. It would be so weird if you were confident in your first book. I would think that you are a strange person. Yes. So that helped me feel a lot better. And of course, just like surrounding myself with 
the smartest people I possibly could is the best thing to do always. Yes. But in the context of this book, it was so helpful to bounce ideas off of people whose opinions I valued so much so that I knew I was getting a really well-rounded perspective for this book because so much of the book was research. Right. And making sure that the research was still potentially going to be valid in two years was, was incredibly intimidating. Yeah, because we were talking about the permanence of the internet. You know what's more mm-hmm. permanent than the internet? A book. <laughs> yes. A copy of a book. Like, exactly. Wow. So how did you manage, like, did it trigger any of your other mental illnesses while you were writing? Yes. Yeah, yes. of course. Yes. I wasn't sleeping. I would, you know, have a single bite of toast in the morning and then just write all day, especially towards the end when it was like crunch time. Mm-hmm. And I was a bad friend. I was a bad daughter. I was just, all I did was think about this book. I couldn't do anything else, but it was, everyone was so understanding. I was incredibly self-conscious emerging from my book writing process, just being like, hey guys, I'm sorry, I haven't been here yes, for a year. Yes, and that doesn't understand that. Exactly. Is... Everyone was like, what? Of course. You yeah. Even a bad friend. But I felt like I was very absent. Yeah, going back, you probably would have done the same thing because it probably takes you diving in full. Yeah, I wish I had been a little kinder to myself. Yes. I was really, really, really hard on myself. And I, when I look back, I don't, I don't think I needed to be as hard on myself as I did. Having said that, I'm incredibly proud of how the book came out. And I don't know how it would have turned out if I wasn't so rigorous. Right. How long was the process? About two years. About two years. Wow. Um, one year. Well, I'm including the process of like getting the book bought and right. stuff like that, the proposal, right. et cetera. But yeah, around two years and a, a solid year of, of researching and writing and editing. Wow. Do you write a book chronologically? I didn't. No. You write an outline and then you just jump around basically. Are there, there are chapters, right? Yeah, there are chapters. And in the editing process, I edited chronologically just so that I could be sure that it all flowed neatly. Right. What's your favorite part that you wrote? I think a lot of the mental health aspects of the book I I really love. And as I said, I hadn't really had an opportunity to talk about that so much in my content at The Strategist. So it was really nice to talk to people a lot about the way that, you know, acne corresponds to depression. Yeah, that blew my mind. Yeah, yeah, it's it's very real. and, And, you know, a lot of people think that wanting to have clear skin comes from this like narcissistic part of us. And to a certain extent, there is some truth in that. But yeah, the the correlation between acne and depression is staggering. Mm. And it's not talked about enough. Can, yeah. Can we talk about it? Of course. <laughs> yeah. It would be, it would be my honor. So yeah, the New York Times in 2018 published this study that I talk about a lot. And it basically just said that people with acne are at a substantially higher risk for depression, particularly within the first few years that they develop. So a lot of times that will be your teenage years. But as I said earlier, acne isn't linear. So it'll go away for a little bit and then come back. So it's possible that certain periods of depression have corresponded with your skin. What's the causation there? Is it like because you break out that like then you spend more time inside because you're afraid to show your face or like what? I think exactly that. I think okay. that anytime we examine our appearance too intensely, it's a negative impact. Right. I think that ultimately that's what it comes down to. I'm oversimplifying, but yeah. for the sake of this. And it's all like from your gut, right? Like gut health yeah. is like for depression and for. Yeah, exactly. And I think 
you know, when I was younger, I would open magazines and I would look at tabloids or whatever. And I would look at all these celebrities that were perfectly airbrushed and they looked beautiful. And I remember I would go to my computer and literally Google like Kristen Cavallari acne to see if there was a photo (laughs) with her of her that I could see if she had acne or Megan Fox acne. Nowadays, you can open up a Teen Vogue and there's an entire editorial spread, which is unretouched. And it's a photo of 10 beautiful women who have full faces of acne and they're showing it and it makes you feel so much less alone. Totally. That's why I started this podcast. (laughs) I think it's such a wonderful development and I'm so happy that teenagers have that because growing up, I really felt like I was weird for having, I felt dirty and I felt ashamed and And I felt like when people looked at me, they thought I wasn't taking care of myself, even though, of course, everyone knows people with no one is washing their face more diligently than someone with acne. Right. (laughs) Right. That's yeah. Because when your skin is clear or like when you're having a good skin day or whatever or skin, good skin days, you don't think of. You don't think of you like, you know, you're, it's, it's not on your mind, like hiding your face or like, no, of course. Yeah. If the sun will hit a zit a certain way or whatever. But when you are breaking out, it's all-consuming. And I it's I don't care if people want to say it's superficial, yeah. whatever. I don't care. It does have an effect on your mental health. Like not wanting mm-hmm. to show your face is really damaging. And it can make you feel this really strange disconnect with your body. Totally. Because you're like, why is this happening? Yeah. Like what is going on inside of my body right now that this is happening? Absolutely. So it can make you lose faith in your body. And and yeah, the self-hate cycle starts. Yes, because that's the thing is like you're, that's what I think people gravitate so much towards you for is like that you are, yes, you talk about skincare and all of that, but you also have such knowledge about the backside of it, you know, like the mental health implications. And you really understand what it can mean to someone to not know how to help themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's a very helpless feeling. Like you buy all these 4,000 products, you don't know how to use them, but yeah. like you're just trying to help yourself and you can't. And that can yeah. be really damaging on your mental health also. Yeah. And I totally know what you mean about buying a million products. That can be one of the hardest parts as well. I always encourage people to just really be slow and steady with their product purchasing um, kind of periods. Like, one product at a time and really try and get to know it. Yeah. You, I, I've heard you say that you like take 30 days, right? Yeah. So it's a pretty strict policy, but I abide by it because I, I think it's the best way to understand how your products are actually working because right. if you buy an entire, let's say you're having a terrible skin week and you're like, I just need to restart my whole situation. You buy 10 products, you start them all at once and your acne gets worse how are you going to figure out what is hurting and what is helping? Okay. So you're talking about me. That's, that's me. I'm like, we've all been there. I'm not judging you at all. I try it for for a day and I'm like, Oh, that doesn't work. That works. You know? Yeah, exactly. I, I totally resonate with that. That's the number one thing is a lot of times people will approach me and they'll apologize for the way that they have dealt with their skincare. They're always like, Oh, you would be so embarrassed. I have made every skincare mistake a person yeah. can possibly ever make. Yes. That's beauty editors try so much. They do the absolute most to their skin. I have wrecked my skin barrier. I have broken myself out. I've given myself rashes. I've done anything. So you, no one has anything to apologize to me for. 
I love that. People, do you get annoyed ever? Like, do people ever just come up to you at a party? I mean, like, what back when we used to go to parties, like, that, <laughs> like you know, when we used to see people, do, is that annoying when people are like, "What? What should I do about this?" I'd be like, "Get away from me." <laughs> no, for the most part, I, I think it, I'm like really charmed by the yeah. conversation, and and it's that really they would flattering. trust you. Yeah, yeah, it's really flattering that people are interested in in what I have to say. The only time is is when people like don't know what they're talking about and they're like, Oh, that product that you recommended or not even product I recommended or that product is really bad for you. And I'm like, what research are you basing this on? Yes. Do people talk to you a lot about skincare? Like, are you ever like, I also have a name and a family. Do you know, it's actually, I'm going to be honest. It's been really nice to be on this podcast and not exclusively talk about skincare because I feel so happy. Yeah, this is like the first podcast they've ever done where people have ever asked me about more than just skincare, which is really interesting. But I think that's also my responsibility because as I said, I only present myself as someone who's an authority on a certain thing. Well, it's also the host's responsibility, but yes, that's very sweet of you. But yeah, people talk to me a lot about skincare, but for the most part, I really like it. It's a great way to connect with people if you don't really have anything to talk about. Because everyone kind of cares about skincare. It's true. It's true. Everyone does. And something that I really wanted to ask you about skincare is Mm -hmm. as it pertains to mental health, right? So Mm -hmm. like I I have anxiety. I have depression. Like I don't really have much room for other other disorders. (laughs) I mean, you know, and I've heard a lot of talk recently about like how skin picking is now like a mental illness. And I'm like, that's like my catharsis. Like that is like the one happy thing in my life. Like how can you take that from me? Okay. I used to have a serious skin picking problem. I, I do have a serious skin picking There's problem. There's levels to it, of course. Like yeah. if you see a white head or a black head and you pick at it, that's one thing. That is not what I was doing. I was performing surgery on my skin every single night. I would I'm take like, needles uh... that I found around the house. <laughs> um, yes. Oh God. I would also do it though when I was like, mad at myself like it was Mm. an odd weird like self-harm thing I did yeah and I also found myself like self-sabotaging with picking a lot like I would um if I was about to go out I would like pick my face before I went out so that I had yes interesting odd things that I used to do there is some energy in there you know like I do it kind of when I it's violent violent. you like black out you know when you do it Oh my God. It's so true. I like literally yeah. I'll sit there for hours or like hour and I'll wake up from the and trip like, and be like, what the hell was yeah, that? With like scabs and blood and like needles and alcohol. Yeah, you just like <laughs> truly leave your body, like just yeah. full dissociation. Right. So yeah, there's a, there's a couple of tips and tricks that I think helps help people with picking, obviously throwing out the mirror, throwing out any magnifying mirror. Oh my God. I have like a 20 plus. Essential. No. You have to throw it out if you're a skin picker because you okay. will find things that just do not exist. They don't exist. They're not there. Oh my and then God. you'll turn something that is nothing into something that'll take two months to heal. It's true. Fully. You're so It's right. just not worth it. You're right. Another you're thing right. is lighting. This is pretty extreme, but for all my extreme pickers out there, I changed the lighting in my bathroom and it was game changing. I really? had like really fluorescent lighting where I could see everything and I changed it to kind of a dimmer okay. setting. But so you can still see can everything. still see, but I, I can't see a blackhead. A pore, yeah. Yeah, like I couldn't see a blackhead. I could see like a massive red spot, but I can't see, 
small things and it was game. That's brilliant. Also having people hold you accountable. Like my boyfriend, if I'm in there too long, he's like, what's up? No, my boyfriend screams from the other room, stop picking. Like it's it's like a daily occurrence because he knows that like I've told him in the past, tell me not to. But then when he tells me, I'm like, it's, I'm like an addict. Like I'm just like, I am just all consumed and like no one is going to get in my way. Yeah. I mean, exact same way. It's so crazy. I know. But then I'm like, maybe I'm just not being self-aware enough. I really need to like reevaluate why I do it because there definitely is a psychological aspect to it. Like there definitely is a self-sabotaging darkness to it. There definitely is. Well, it's like it can be a compulsion that it can be really hard to control. I'll do it to ingrown hairs too. Like if I get a bikini wax or something. If there's a lump, I I will do my, my damnedest. I will try my damnedest to get something out of it. But that's – is that also why you maybe are becoming an esthetician so you can pop other people's? I mean, yes. That is in large <laughs> that part is why the one I reason. to go. Yeah. Yes. I, I think that learning how to do extractions in, in a correct way, yeah. I am hoping that that will help me both learn when something is ready to be extracted and also when – how to do it yes. properly when it is done. But esthetician school, yeah, I, I'm learning a lot and that is certainly one of them. Are you enjoying it? It's over Zoom, right? It's over Zoom right now. We go in in person in uh, August. Okay. But I am enjoying it. I, it's, it's really wonderful to just like take a step back and learn um, kind of like the basics of skin physiology and stuff like that. Because, you know, uh, skincare articles are so advanced. But, you know, it's important to revisit and make sure you properly understand the foundation of what you're learning, you know, like right. of what you're learning. Like, yeah, sure. I understand how hyaluronic acid works. Right. But I never really understood why it worked that way. Interesting. Does that make yes. sense? Like I never understood sense. the different levels of the skin, what things are going down in every level of the skin, how your skin heals itself, all those things. I actually didn't understand the anatomy and physiological reason for those things. So that's what I'm learning in esthetician school, which is awesome. It's so cool that you've taken skincare, right? Like something that started as a Google doc. I'm just (laughs) going to like blow you up for a second. Taking that little thing and then you've turned it into, you wrote a book. You're, you're in school, like to become an esthetician. That is so, you're paving the way for someone behind you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To show them that like, you don't have to go to college for it. You don't have to, you know, like that's, That's so nice. Thank it's you. so cool. No, like really, I know we're not nice to ourselves, but <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you be nice to yourself for a second. Yeah. I mean, I think esthetician school is a really, really great place to start for someone that's interested in going into the beauty industry. Yeah. Because there's so many different things you can do in it. You can do product development. You can do facials. A lot of times estheticians will end up being um, writers as well. So, I mean, it's, it's certainly an expensive endeavor. It's not cheap, but if it's something you're really serious about, it's definitely worth considering. Damn. I'm fucking so impressed. I have so many personal questions about skincare that I want to ask you, but what's your current routine? Is that just the most annoying no, question no, no, in the no. world? It's not, it's not at all. Um, I'm kind of having like a weird skin situation right now, which I'm going through hell I, with my skin. <laughs> me too. <laughs> I'm having a bad month. Me too. So when you are having a bad month, do you feel like does the imposter syndrome come? Are you like, are people going to take my advice if I have a bad breakout? Well, 
in a sense, I do, I had historically found myself a little self-conscious going out of the house if my skin wasn't good. Yeah, me too. Because I felt like people would look at me and be like, why am I taking advice from her? Right. Okay. So there's that. So not only are you afraid to leave the house for like social reasons, but also because people look to you as the North star of exactly. But I've come to realize that I think in a way it adds credibility to my case, because I feel like why take advice about acne from someone who doesn't have acne? Right. You know? Yes. So I, I just say like, I'm just honest about it. If I, if I happen to see someone, I'm like having a breakout moment and they're like, totally, you know, it's, they're always, no one's ever, ever, ever been mean to me about it. So, but it is true. I, I do think about it a lot, but my skin is going through a weird phase because I had a zit, I have a zit that just is not going away. And it's been there for like a month and a half. And I don't know what to do about it. It's taking everything in me not to pick it. I want to pick it so bad, but I can't because I truly think there's nothing in it. But then why isn't it going away? You don't think the juice is loose in there? I don't think the juice is loose. She's not looking like anything wants to come out. So I think I'm just going to continue to leave her and And see what what happens. I've just been exfoliating a little bit more than usual exfoliation is something that I think people overdo like crazy. One of my biggest skincare mistakes ever was that I was exfoliating with P50 like every day when I first started using the product, uh, which is insane. <laughs> I do every other day, but that's just because I can't remember. I would do it every day, but I shouldn't. Okay. I'm not, Listen, noted. I mean, noted. everyone's skin is different. I'm not going to, I'm not going to judge you for doing what you're doing. If judge your skin me, is looking please. good, I need if you your to skin judge is me. looking good, you should listen to it. But for me, uh, I would break out like crazy because of how much I was over exfoliating. Yeah. Because if you ruin your skin barrier, it actually makes your skin more susceptible to bacteria. Right. So that's why dryness can cause breakouts. Interesting. Um, which I didn't even think about. Again, that's something I definitely learned in school. So I have been exfoliating the area a little bit more than usual. So for me, that means once a week. A lot of times I will not exfoliate. Chemical or, or physical? chemical all the way I never I never exfoliate with physical not not that I think they're terrible I think that there is a time and a place where that's totally fine but yeah I'm I'm definitely more of a chemical exfoliant girl and yeah just it's it's always a balance of like treating my acne but then also making sure that I'm giving it kind of a big boost of moisture because I have quite a complicated skin type because I'm dry and acne prone okay so it's always trying to kind of like meet in the middle those two kind of polar opposite skin types. Totally. It's weird. Like I know I've, I I actually think I got the original recommendation from you, but those COSRX um, pimple patches, love those. They're the best. But this weekend, like I don't think I've ever used them and then put makeup on shortly thereafter. I had like oh, they leave a stickiness, yeah, yes, like, and like I, a circle. My, yes, my makeup yeah. just like went around all this, like literally all the spots I wanted to cover. It just wouldn't. Horrible. I'm so it was sorry. a horrible experience. <laughs> it's like, no, it sounds sucks. horrible. Yeah, I mean, I have I have really finessed the art also of covering up pimples. Oh, tell me. So, is it something you can tell, or do you need to show? No, 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 no. I mean, I think I can explain it. I'll try and I'll try and be as simple as possible. Lisa Eldridge, who's an amazing makeup artist, maybe you follow her, she's a big YouTuber. She actually taught this trick. She's amazing. Um, and basically she says that when you have a pimple that's like a massive welt of a pimple, what you should do is actually use a concealer 
that is one or two shades darker than your concealer because it will, I mean, then your base. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it will give you the foundation of like a more sunken, like the same way that contouring will help chisel out your cheekbones. If you use, so for example, me, I use, I'll put on foundation and then I'll use my summer concealer, you know, like my darkest summer concealer, put that on the area. Then you take your lightest concealer okay, and you use it around that area. So it's a proper like highlighting and shading situation. And it gives you the illusion that it's a lot less um, inflamed than it is. And it works every time. Damn, mm-hmm. that blew my it's fucking crazy. mind. I will send you the um, YouTube video for that. Please. If you want to put it in the show notes because I feel like yes. it's so helpful. Oh my God. No, we're going to put it in the show notes for sure. Yeah, it's the For best. sure. So what is your current routine? Just run me through some products you like. I'm a big double cleanse person because I feel like especially, well, it's New York City in the summer right now. So I'm sweating more than ever. So I always double cleanse in the summer. So I use an oil and then a cream because I'm, I'm really dry. Right. Um, so I use the, then I met you cleansing balm, which I absolutely adore, which is from Charlotte Cho's brand. Charlotte Cho runs Soko Glam. Then I met you is a brand that it's just, it's so wonderful. Good if you haven't okay. tried it. I haven't. Um, cleansing cream. I'm pretty chill about it. I'll kind of try anything. I will, I can fully use like a CeraVe hydrating, but the one I really like right now is from Burst. Okay. Um, and it's the gentle cycle cleanser and they sell it at Target. It's relatively affordable. I think it's like 15 bucks. Um, what else have I been using? So exfoliator, I have been trying out this new product. I cannot for the life of me, remember what it's called. I will find out afterwards. Okay. Yeah, we'll put it in the show but notes. It's like a 10% AHA, 2% BHA, which normally is like a little bit stronger than I would typically use. But since I'm having sort of a breakout journey, I have been using it on my sort of like most acne prone areas, which for me is the chin. Uh, that's another thing people don't really realize about skincare. You don't have to use it all over your face. Yeah. Oh, you know, that like is, you can just uh, yeah. use it in certain areas. That so is I only break out here. I, my cheeks are dry as hell. So I'm not going anywhere near them, but I will use it here. And, and then Cosrx nail mucin for me is like, you will always find one in my cabinet. I, it just, it just is like nectar of the gods to me. No um, way. Okay. Yeah. I that. love it. I think it's so amazing because if you have dry skin in particular, I don't know what your skin type is, but I love it because it really does have this like reparative quality as well as hydrating. So it will help with quenching your skin. But the thing I love the most about it is I found it's really helpful for healing old acne. So scabs and things like that, it has this really, really wonderful reparative quality that really helps if you have uh, acne prone skin. Great. Um, it'll help with redness and inflammation too. Not as much as say like a salicylic acid or a benzoyl peroxide, but in a gentle way. So that's definitely like my desert island pick. And then for SPF, I feel like is another big one. People, I am always trying new sunscreens because I'm always trying to get as many people to wear sunscreen as possible. Something people say all the time, but what I stand by very deeply is the best sunscreen is the one you're actually going to want to use every day right? If you put on a sunscreen and it looks bad, why would you want to put it on every day? Exactly. So 
the best ones are the ones where you put it on, you're like, my skin looks bomb. I can't wait to put this on tomorrow. So those are two of those products that I think really do that. And you can kind of just put those on and walk out the door and it'll give you like a more radiant finish. The Supergroup Glow Screen and Thank You Farmer. And Thank You Farmer. Okay. Thank You Farmer Shimmer Essence, I want to say is what it's called. It's in a pink bottle. They sell it on Sogo Glam. Oh, I love Shimmer Essence. I love that. The sound of that. And it gives like a really, it's a little bit of a pink, rosy tinted um, pearlescent finish to it, which is That sounds like just what I need in my life. Yeah, it's really, really beautiful. And it sits great under makeup and all of that, which is great for me. I love a dewy. Amazing. We love a dewy. Finish. Yes, me too. Me too. Okay, now I'm going to ask you just two rapid-fire questions just Mm -hmm. to close us out. So what is a way in which you're working on yourself these days? I think for me, the number one thing that I'm trying to work on is just, like, allowing myself to release things and stop overthinking things. Mm -hmm. I can get into a really vicious cycle of, like, when if I have a bad conversation or if, if, you know, I don't do as well at something that I wanted to do, I will sit and I'll stew in it. I'm trying to teach myself to really release that. So for me, there's an article about this. I forget whether it's seven seconds or seven minutes. Anyways, that isn't something I practice, but it's all about basically allowing yourself to really think about those things and then let it go. I don't hold myself to like a certain amount of time, but I think it's just about like, yeah, letting it happen. You can think about it and then you have to just leave it in the past. Yes, but allowing yourself to like go through that negative yeah. feeling and then just like for a certain amount of time. Exactly. Like I think it's important to acknowledge that you are feeling something. Um, it's not about repressing feelings. It's about feeling them and then being like, okay, we're moving on. Yes. So that's something I try and practice a lot. Yeah. I've, I learned recently that feelings really only pass through your system for 90 seconds. Everything else that you drive yourself crazy thinking about are the stories that you attach to those emotions. You yes. Know? But I think that you're right. Like 90 seconds sometimes is not enough, you know, like mm-hmm. you just need to fully marinate in it for a second and then have the discipline to also take yourself out. Also, sometimes I found like actually communicating what you're feeling to another person can be really helpful because it sounds psycho. <laughs> yes, that's true. That's true. Like Real I'll life. call my sister and I'll be like, hey, so what do you think about this? And she's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, yeah, right. Never yeah, mind. like actually saying it out loud. If you're like, oh, and this person didn't follow me back. And you're like, yeah, oh, exactly. That and they're like, so okay, stupid. Yeah. What? <laughs> yes. And this is like how you're choosing to spend like your Friday night. And you're like, yes, actually on Saturday and Sunday. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I am known to spiral. I'm a good spiraler. Are you? Me too. Yeah. I'm excellent at it. Yes, depressed women are very good at that. Mm-hmm, indeed. What is the most off-brand thing about you? Okay, well, I'm going to consider my brand like my Instagram. Suppose, okay. Right? Great, yeah. I think people think that I'm like quite serious based <laughs> okay. on how I look on my Instagram yeah. because I don't smile. But it's because, <laughs> I'll tell you, it's because like You're for the, the longest time, I hated my teeth. Okay. Hated, hated, hated my teeth. Yeah. And I just got Invisalign. We're snatching them. I'm no living for way. it. Oh my God. It's been a really wonderful teeth journey. But so I think, I think the thing that might not come across on my Instagram is that I'm actually like quite silly and like smiley 
Yes. You know I what get I mean? that from you for sure. Yeah. Yes. Like I think people look at my Instagram and they think I'm like really serious and like bitchy, which like is funny because I don't really think anyone that knows me would describe me like that. But isn't that funny that like alas. just because of an open smile can determine how people see you, like just based on how you smile, like how you hold your face? Yeah. I'm and it's so funny because so many people have said that to me. Like really? so many people have been like, wow, you're actually like really nice and no chill. Way. Like I thought you were going to be like really bitchy. And I'm like, that's a hundred percent because I didn't smile on my Instagram. Oh my God. You're like, I know exactly where that I assumption know exactly. came from. And, and then I bring it up to people and they're like, how did you mention it? Like, oh yeah. my God. Well, PSA, Rio is a great time. I do smile. I you do smile. have a good time. Yes. And you serious. have beautiful teeth now. Thank you so that much. That you'll show off soon. Yeah, I, my 2021 goal is to post more photos of my teeth. Okay, which we're is holding a you to it. Very, very odd goal, but <laughs> I love by. it. I love it. Okay, you're done. What is your Instagram handle? Do you have any final words, requests, upcoming projects for listeners to look out for other than buying your book? Whichever yes, needs to do. My book is available pretty much everywhere. Um, I have a link in my bio where you can shop it at IndieBound, which is how you can purchase it through an independent bookstore in your neighborhood, yes. which I encourage you to do. Yes. So there is that. Um, my Instagram is at RioVN. And yeah, that's pretty much my main social. And I'd love to have you guys and and please DM me if you have listened to this. I'd love to hear what you thought. Yes. Go on her Instagram to see the, to see the open smile, to yeah. see the teeth. Yeah. We got to see the teeth. We got to <laughs> see the, oh, righty. Oh, I want to ask you one last question. Mm-hmm. Is your name hyphenated because it's your mom and dad's last names? Yeah. Okay. Listen, uh, this is a whole other podcast topic, okay. but hyphenated last names are a blessing and a curse. Okay. Tell me. Because I think they look awesome, Yeah, but it's really annoying for when you're trying to make emails. Uh-huh. It's annoying when you're trying to sign into things. Like when I'm when I'm trying to like log into a kiosk at the airport and they're like, what's your last name? It's always like, is it just Vera Newton altogether? Is it Vera Space Newton? Is it Vera Hyphen Newton? So it's a nightmare. And my boyfriend is always like, I never knew that having a hyphenated last name like bared this burden. Yes, you carry a, a heavy burden. It was hard <laughs> on the SAT as well. Yeah, like stuff like that. Weird things. That's a bit never enough space yeah. for your name in like those um, SAT classes. But good for you for never picking one. Good for you for sticking with both. I th- I love it. I think it looks so pretty. Yeah, me too. I really like it too. But just just food for thought just, for parents. Yeah. You know. No, I I appreciate that. <laughs> Alrighty, we're done. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. All right, guys, that is it for us today. I hope you loved Rio as much as I did. I think her story is so relatable beyond skincare, you know, beyond just pimples and dry skin. She has so much to share and is such a deep and self-aware person. And I just loved every minute of talking to her. And I hope you guys liked listening. This would not be an episode of Tell Me About It if I did not beg you to please like and subscribe to the podcast. It would help me immensely. If you like any podcast, I recommend doing it because it's a great way to show love and it's the only way we grow, really. And also, I really want to talk to you guys. So will you please text me or leave me a voicemail? We can talk about anything, but I would love to know if you have any suggestions about guests you want to see on the show or guests you want to hear on the show. If you have any 
stories you want to share, advice you want, or just want to shoot the shit, I am always around and would love to talk to you. So please text me or call me at 415-849-0299. And that's it. So I'll see you guys next time. And thanks for coming to hang. Bye.